Good evening and uh, happy new year. Compliments of the new season from Thinking Out Loud. I'm your host, Babuliki Moseki. And this season, season number five, for the first episode, the first of year 2022, we are looking at uh, biblical leadership. So we have changed um, the way we've been operating last year. If you remember last year, we're not really much about um, religion or Christianity. Um, so today I went biblical. I went biblical. And uh, for this season, we'll be just biblical and looking at some things from the Bible pertaining to leadership. And in the background, it's a hymn, a Christian hymn, How Great Thou Art. It's a very wonderful song. Welcome and... Fasten a seatbelt in this episode. In the book of Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul writes to Titus and Titus was more of a pastor so this is a pastoral letter or a pastoral epistle. So he's telling him what he should do and this is what he says in the second part of the verse. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, uh, the second part he says, set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I direct you. So here you see a command um, you see um, yeah it's a command basically uh, from Paul that he gives to Titus that he should set in order the things that remain and the order that he talks about here is appointing of elders in every city and what follows from verse 6 going downward is basically um, the qualifications of such elders uh, we'll look at that in the future but what I want to emphasize today is that we are looking at what is called or what we call gospel order in relation to leadership. And um, here Paul brings out elders as uh, those who should occupy leadership position in the church. And now for many people, the issue of church government or basically church organization, church polity, church structure um, or the ministry at large, 
is as irrelevant as maybe the color of the pews or whether the pews should be made of, of wood or they should have like metal or plastic in it or whether they should be cushioned or not um so basically like you know that's not really an issue but when you look at church government church polity church structure church organization it is an extremely practical and theological um, issue as far as significance is concerned. And some of the worst um, have wrought in the Christian church or in the Christian faith or in Christendom has been because of unscriptural forms of church structure or church government. Um, now, when you look at um, the time that the apostolic church um, thrived in the time in which it, 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 it arose and, and thrived. Um, you see that they had a different setup um, of church government. Uh, it was only in later centuries that they began to assimilate uh, Roman and Jewish concepts of status, power, and priesthood. But before then, um, while the apostolic church was still at its peak, they didn't have that kind of, 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 of church government or church organization or polity. They operated differently from how the Romans operated and how the Jewish um, uh, community uh, operated, basically. So, now, when you look at this issue of Bible-based leadership structure, you will see that in relation to what happened centuries after the Apostolic Church, the church government was tricalized and, and sacralized as well, uh, and under Christ's name, an elaborately structured institution emerged that corrupted the simple family structure of the Apostolic Churches. And it robbed God's people of their lofty position and ministry in Christ and exchanged Christ's supremacy over his people for the supremacy of the institutional church. And what do I mean by that? It's like now the institution itself, the structure itself, has more supremacy over the people than Christ himself has that supremacy. Uh, it's like you, with this kind of structure now you'll be torn between obeying God and obeying the leaders of the church while in fact they should be in harmony while the leaders of the church should be in harmony with God but it gets to a point where they are pulling one side and God is calling you on the, on the, on the, other, on the other side so uh, that is what, what happened the, the, the files um, if you going to use that language the files of leadership became corrupted as time went by why? because they started to eliminate uh, not eliminating brother, but assimilating um, concepts of leadership from the Roman Empire and from the Jewish community and, and, and put those in the church structure. And now you have uh, the people who are at the top being the conscience for the rest of the congregation. And that's how they exchange Christ's supremacy over his people for the supremacy of the institutional church. And the when you look at the importance of church structure or church organizational structure, you see that um, it determines how people think 
and act. If people are led to think that the bishop, the pastor, um, the pope, for example, um, the archbishop is closer to God and knows uh, more and therefore whatever he says goes, people will now do less thinking if they do any thinking at all for themselves and depend on the word of men. So it, it kind of creates kind of like a cult uh, mentality whereby people basically follow what a man or a group of men says um, as far as their faith and practice is concerned. And ultimately, the structure determines how things are done in the local church, for example. Um, if we believe that the pastor of the church is the one who makes decisions, therefore it means that the rest of the church has no input in the developments and, and, and how things are being done in the local church. But if you believe that, no, um, the people, the congregation has more power, it has more say in how things are done and, 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 and when and, and by who, then uh, that kind of uh, mentality, that kind of thinking will lead one to know that no, these pastors are just servants, they are nothing but servants. Um, they are not bosses, they are servants, they are serving. So in practical reality, church structure often takes the precedence over theology and that is very, very true. Um, when you look at what does the word of God say um, versus what does policy say, most of the time people go with policy because of the way things are. And since the structure of the church matters both practically and theologically, we must ask if there is a scriptural base for insisting on one form of church government. And that is what we are going into um, in this episode. So the question is, what, the biblical, what is the biblical base for government? Um, you know, when you look at the verse that we started with, Titus chapter 1 verse 5, it says, appoint elders in every city. So there you have a plurality of elders that are there to, um, to be appointed and to basically take care of the church, to lead the church. So we have this concept of the plurality of elders, more than one elder uh, in a church. Now, Christians who profess the Bible to be God's infallible word um, agree that they must establish their church practices and doctrines um, on the teachings of the Bible. In other words, if you believe that you are a, a, a Christian, then um, you know your, your 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 thinking, your philosophy should be that. The Bible is the creed. The Bible is the standard of faith and practice. So, when I look at the New Testament, um, it records the existence of elders in numerous churches, and it also gives instruction about elders and also to elders themselves. Um, it offers more instruction regarding elders than other important church subjects such as uh, Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, baptism or spiritual gifts. More is given on the church elders, on the elders of the church, um, than on other issues in the Bible. That's what we realize uh, when you go through the Bible. Now, elders, uh, they are found in the church of Judea and the surrounding area. You see this in the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 30, James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. 
and they govern the church in Jerusalem when you look at the apostolic church that is that comes out very clearly in Acts chapter 15 and among the Pauline churches or the churches that were um, planted by Paul leadership by the plurality of elders was established in churches of Derby for example Lystra, Iconium and, and Antioch and also in the churches at, at, at Ephesus, uh, Philippi and also in Crete so you can see that there is this consistency that there was a plurality of elders in each church and according to the well um, you know written letter of first peter um, elders existed in churches throughout northwestern asia um, minor pontus that is pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia so these are the, the the places also on the other side besides those that paul visited um, where you see a plurality of elders in a church and there are also strong indications that elders existed in churches in Thessalonica. Um, you see this in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve, and also in Rome. You see that in Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse seventeen. So, when you look at this, really, you see that the, the New Testament especially provides examples of elder-led churches. It includes explicit instructions to churches about how to care for to protect, to discipline, to select, to restore, to obey, and call the elders. That's what you see. It's filled with those instructions. And the apostles intended that these instructions should be obeyed, and they should be regarded as normative teaching for all churches at all times. In other words, these instructions, these principles are timeless. They are not bound with time and the transcend culture basically so which means that uh, what was the norm then should be the norm now as far as principles of selecting elders and um, the kind of government church government that existed back then uh, is concerned now james instructs that those who are sick should call for the elders of the church in james chapter 5 verse 14 you can see that um, there is this thing of plurality of elders and also paul instructs the efficient church to financially support elders who labor at preaching and teaching you see that in first timothy chapter 5 verse 17 and verse 18 and um he also instructs the church as to the proper qualifications for eldership in first timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to verse 7 as well as titus chapter 1 verse 5 to verse 9. Uh, so here we see that uh, there is that um repetition of elders 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 and we see that it's a plurality of elders. Now, um, there are certain things that Paul, both Paul and Peter, and, and James actually, uh, give uh, as instructions that are directed to the elders. In First Peter 5, verse 5, Peter exhorts elders to be clothed in humility. So that is very, very important. Um, you are clothed in humility, you serve in humility. You are not bossing people, but you are serving them. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. And Paul reminds the efficient, um, the efficient elders that the Holy Spirit placed them in the church as overseers to pastor or to shepherd the church of God. You see this clearly in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. 
and he also further exhorts elders to guard the church from false teachers in the same verse and to be alert to the constant threat of false doctrine Acts chapter 20 verse 31 he talks about you know um, wolves who come in not sparing the flock and men leading others after themselves uh, through false doctrines so you can see that and he also reminds elders to work hard um, to help the needy and to be generous like the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 35 of the book of Acts chapter 30. And he also exhorts elders to live at peace with the congregation. You see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 to verse 3. Now, having said this, all these things about elders, now qualifications, instructions given to elders, how they should um, behave, how they should lead, how they should serve God's people. Let us look at how the church is pictured um, that makes this model of government more effective than others. Now, number one, the church is a family of brothers and sisters. That is what we see clearly in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, of the different New Testament church, uh, terms used to describe the nature of the church, um, this is the body, the bride, the temple, the flock, the most frequently used is the family particularly the fraternal aspect of the family, and that is brethren. The reason behind this preference for the familial aspect of the church is that not only the most intimate of human relationships could express the love, the closeness, the privileges, and relationships that exist between God and men, and men and men, as a result of Christ's uh, incarnation and death. So then the local church is to be a close-knit family of brothers and sisters. And that way you see each other as equals. Really, there's no one who is uh, playing uh, um, a role of a, a superior to another because you see each other as brothers and sisters, meaning that you have the same father, meaning that you see each other as siblings. Yes, there is respect of age, but um, that should not uh, negate the fact that you are brothers and sisters you are children of the same father in god's eyes and the new testament displays the family character of the christian brotherhood in many practical ways um the early christians they met in homes you see this in the book of romans chapter 16 first Corinthians chapter 16 Colossians chapter 4 even um, the book of philemon um you know um Philemon 2, you see that clearly. Um, they shared material possessions. Uh, this is brought out clearly in the book of Acts. You see Acts chapter 2, verse 44, 45, chapter 4, verse 32, chapter 11, verse 29, and, and many others. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Galatians chapter 2, and chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 13, and many other uh, texts. That shows that they shared material possessions. They cared for each other as brothers and sisters should. And also they ate together. This is clearly brought out in the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts is a very wonderful book that demonstrates how the church behaved, how the, the picture of the church um, looked like in during the time of the apostles. 
and we are also told that they greeted one another with a holy kiss more like a hug you know um uh, when you look at our context here they would embrace each other and that is an expression of love that is an expression of closeness so we can see that they treated each other as brothers and sisters indeed and they showed hospitality uh, that is very uh, clear in the book of acts and the book of romans the book of first timothy Hebrews, 1 Peter, and also the epistles of John, especially 3 John. They cared for the widows. Um, that is very clear in Acts 6, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And James also talks about it in his uh, epistle, James chapter 1. You can also see it in chapter 2. And when appropriate, they disciplined their members. This is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 um, to chapter 6, where a brother was sleeping with his uh father's wife um and um they had to discipline him they had to discipline him so that is what you see right there and when you look at the brotherliness that kind of relationship it also provided a key guiding principle for the management of relationships between Christians. Um, Jesus insisted that his followers were true brothers and sisters and that none among them should act like the rabbis of his day who elevated themselves above their fellow countrymen. He brings this out clearly in the book of Matthew chapter 23, verse 5 to verse 8. And in complete obedience to Christ's teaching on humility and uh, brotherhood, the first Christians and their leaders resisted special titles um, they resisted sacred clothes, so-called sacred clothes, special clothes, chief seats, um, and lordly terminology to describe their community leaders. They, they, they wouldn't tell you, um, they would avoid, you know, the titles behind someone's name um, because they treated each other as brothers and sisters and they also adopted the teaching on humility they will not tell you how much educated someone was you know because that has an influence in how people listen to that person if you know that oh no he has so many phds he has done this and that and that and that and that it's easier to take that person's word um as a command and run with it at the expense of obeying god so the apostolic church they avoided all those things. Um, they would not have special seats for the leaders. No, they would just mingle with um, the rest of the people in a very loving and a very relaxed way. They also chose an appropriate leadership structure for their local congregations. That is basically leadership by a council of elders, not a single elder um, or pastor. So that is the first thing that we see. The second aspect is that the church is under Christ's headship. Now, biblical eldership guards and promotes the preeminence and position over the local. Uh, let me say that again. Biblical um, eldership it guards and promotes the preeminence and position of Christ, of Jesus Christ, who's preeminent, the firstborn of all creation, the beginning of everything, um, over the local church. So Jesus, when he left his disciples, he gave them this promise that where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So we see that Christ is the head 
in every congregation or should be the head in every congregation so we didn't have head pastors um head head elders uh, basically uh, you know um, senior pastors and all that as if they are the ones who are now heading the congregation no the headship um belongs to christ christ is the one who's the head now because apostles knew that jesus christ by the holy spirit was uniquely present with them as ruler head lord pastor um, or shepherd chief shepherd master overseer high priest and king they chose a form of government that reflected this distinctive fundamental christian truth this concept was no theoretical idea to the early christians it was a reality that is what they did the first churches were truly christ-centered christ-dependent churches christ alone provided all they needed to be in full fellowship with god and with one another so they were fully dependent on christ so that is what we see about um you know the bible uh, bible based um leadership structure that the church was more like a family of brothers and sisters and they were under the headship of jesus christ himself and being under the headship of jesus christ himself they had a form of government that reflected that idea whereby you have a group a council of elders um, who are equal they take their mandate from christ himself they are equal they have different roles to play in the church in the local church depending on their strengths and their giftings or their gifts or talents and so they operated that way and they did not lord it over god's people so we can see that this leadership structure is the same as the one that we see in heaven where those that are in leadership positions they serve the rest and this is all done under christ's supervision it's all done under christ's headship so that is it about um, leadership as far as the bible is concerned um, looking at the biblical model looking at what the bible says about it so next up we'll look at biblical eldership remember we started with first timothy uh, not first timothy rather but titus chapter 1 verse um, verse 5 where paul says that elders should be appointed so we are going to look at biblical eldership and develop that um, concept as time goes by remember that uh here thinking out loud we don't want to tell you what to think but we want to provoke you to think critically and uh, look at these issues um uh, logically and see what way is best and with the guidance of the holy uh, of the holy scriptures i believe that we'll get somewhere with uh, these concepts and with these ideas and with these um, issues that we're discussing thinking out loud shaping your destiny have a good night my friends <laughs>